0: Thank you for joining us on America First with today's very special guest host, Cleveland's own Bob France.
1: Dr. G, thank you so much for the honor of sitting in on America First once again. What a a phenomenal audience that you have assembled over the course of these years on this show. It's really a privilege and a pleasure to talk to them. I love doing shows, and I say the same thing in a couple of other locations only, one of which is Dennis Prager. I love doing radio shows when I have audiences who can teach me oftentimes as much as I can teach them. They bring things to my attention I did not know. They give me history lessons I didn't know, maybe science information I did not know. When I can get somebody and I can get something out of somebody rather as much as I can give to them, it's a great way to do radio. So I love this audience and I appreciate the opportunity to be here. We have a huge show lined up for you on this Friday edition of America First. Uh, we, what a guest list. Coming up here in about uh, 10, 12, 13 minutes, we're going to talk to Daniel Horowitz, senior editor at Conservative Review and host at Blaze Media. Daniel is all. Over the Middle East. Daniel is all over the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Daniel is all over American campuses that continue to host and promote and encourage pro-terrorist rallies and anti-Semitic, anti-Israel rallies all over this country. They're cheerleaders for terrorists now on college campuses. It's be, it's beyond what it ever has been before. Daniel is going to tell us all about that. Uh, in the uh, 4 o'clock hour, that's Eastern, of course. In the second hour, wherever you're listening, we're going to talk to James Carafano, of course, Senior Counsel of the President, Heritage Foundation. We're going to get his take on everything that's happening and whether or not we're being dragged into what might become World War III. When you think about theater wars, uh, war theaters in in you know three, four different global locations, we literally are talking about the potential of World War III. We're going to talk to that, uh, talk to uh, Mister Carfano about that. We're going to talk to John Arlot Jr. as it is a Friday, Second Amendment Friday. That'll be coming up, and then uh, in the last hour, you're going to want to be here for Robert Spencer. Robert Spencer is one of the most reviled men in media, academia, literature, uh, research. In the Muslim community, the Muslim Brotherhood hates Robert Spencer. He is one of the founders of Jihad Watch, and he is, again, all over what's going on in Israel with the uh, conflict, with the wars, and so on and so forth. So, And I say wars plurally because the, the Israelis are going to be fighting wars on a couple of different fronts, maybe three, depending on what happens from the West Bank and what Iran chooses to do directly as opposed to through their proxies of Hamas and Hezbollah. So we are going to talk about all of that with all of those wonderful people today, but we're going to start right now if i could cue it up myself i would play for you the benny hill theme music i referenced it yesterday on america first i will echo it right now the republican conference in the house of representatives seriously resembles the last 60 seconds of every benny hill show you ever saw if you're old enough to have uh, seen that and remember that that's what it looks like now today after the third vote the third vote to try and confirm a speaker to get to two. They didn't even need 217 today because of uh, attendance and no votes and so forth. Or I'm sorry, and uh, um, hold out and not hold What am what I'm trying to say. Uh, uh, present votes. He only needed 214. He lost more seat or more uh, votes today than he did in round number two. Jim Jordan is not going to be the next speaker of the House of Representatives. A little bit after that third round of voting went south and 25, it started out where I believe he had 19, I think it was, holdouts in the round, first round. It was uh, 22 in the second round. Now it's up to 25. Fewer and fewer members are voting for Jim Jordan. So shortly after round number three today, if you did not hear the news already, let me break it to you. Um, Jim Jordan was removed as speaker designee for from the Republican conference. They had a secret vote, apparently. I didn't know they did those things, and I don't know how secret it is, but it was announced immediately afterward that Jim Jordan is no longer the speaker-designee. They are starting from scratch. So why do I call this the Benny Hill Show? Because this is literally one group of people chasing one guy and then turning around and that guy chasing those people, and then another group gets in and chases. It's just, I would call it herding chickens or herding cats, and that's... Those things are way more organized than the House Republican caucuses. It is, and by the way, imagine all of those chase scenes that I just told you about, if you don't know what Benny Hill is, sped up on your, uh, on your video three, four, five times, so it looks like everybody is running when they're walking. It's, just, uh, it, it's silliness, and it is unnecessary chaos. I know about chaos theory. And I know a lot of people in this audience. I heard Seb talk about it himself. Uh, I know the team. You know nothing wrong with a little bit of chaos. Nothing wrong with a little bit of shaking things up. But this is disastrous for the Republican brand. It's disastrous for the Republic. As the I said this yesterday, as the world burns, they're not fiddling. They're chasing one another around. This guy's mad at that guy who's mad at that guy who's taking it out on that guy. There are McCarthy supporters who are so mad at Matt Gates they're going to take it out on Jim Jordan. There are Jordan supporters who, are so, who were so mad uh, at, at Kevin McCarthy they were going to take it out on his buddy Steve Scalise. The whole thing has just become a blank show, which is exactly why you cannot do, and I'm sorry if this offends anyone, but you cannot do what Matt Gates did without having a plan B. If Matt Gates wanted to invoke the single-member motion to vacate, which, of course, he had the right to do. He negotiated that in in order to get the votes that Kevin McCarthy needed to get this gavel back in January. If he chooses to invoke that, which he did, and said, I am invoking the motion to vacate, and I want to remove Kevin McCarthy because, and he doesn't have to say this out loud, but secure this and, and share this and get the support um, of of the rest of the conference or the overwhelming majority that you need the 217, and say I want to p- replace him with this guy, and so there's a there's a planned you know succession there, <clears throat> and it's been pre-approved and agreed upon, and so forth. That's a different story, but when you say motion to vacate and I just want to get rid of that guy, the speaker, and replace him with anybody, whatever happens happens. Whatever chaotic thing happens, happens. That is just completely indulging your own ego at the expense of the party, at the expense of the conference, at the expense of the House of Representatives, at the expense of we the people. It is a disaster. I want you to watch it. I got. I don't usually do a lot of a lot of video and audio clips in the in the opening monologue. I'm changing that for today though. I want you to. I want you to. Um, Watch and listen to this, depending on how you are uh, absorbing uh, America first today. I want you to 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 listen to this clip of Matt Gates being questioned by a reporter. <clears throat> excuse me questioned by a reporter uh, about what he 's going to do if jim jordan doesn 't get the gavel. I mean Matt Gates clearly did not want. Uh, somebody like Jim Jordan to have the, or excuse me, uh, Kevin McCarthy to have the gavel. Uh, he's too moderate. He's too squishy. He didn't keep his promises. I want somebody like Jim Jordan. Well, what if you don't get Jim Jordan? Listen to what the response is, and then I want to get your response to that as we go on this uh, this uh, afternoon. But let's let's listen to that clip. You may not get Jim Jordan as Speaker. You may get someone more moderate. What did you actually get for leading this charge to push out Kevin McCarthy? We're shaking up Washington, D.C. We're breaking the fever. And you know what? It's messy. But the only reason people think there's chaos in this town right now is because the special interests aren't in control anymore. So I think we're going to have an upgrade at the position of Speaker of the House. For me, it was never about any one person. It was, about, it was about ensuring that we got an upgrade at the position. Kevin McCarthy had failed us. He'd made multiple contradictory promises. We weren't really governing under McCarthy. Everybody's making this big deal out of the fact that you know, we've burnt the equivalent of four legislative days on all of this. But, I mean, we've spent like seven legislative days on post offices and procedural votes, for goodness sakes. This is what it's supposed to be. And it's not clean, and it's not orderly, and the lobbyists and the special interests hate it. But I don't seem to mind too much. Well, it's not only not clean and not orderly, it's not effective. Because the reporter was right. Matt Gates, the reporter was right. He said, what if you don't get Jim Jordan? What if you get somebody who's more moderate and more squishy than Kevin McCarthy? And his answer was, doesn't matter, we have to upgrade the position. How do you know you're going to upgrade at the position? And there's the music. That's exactly how it looks and sounds right now in the Republican conference. We're going to talk to Daniel Horowitz next. Stay here. I'm Bob Franson for Dr. G on America First.
0: Threats to our financial freedom and stability are growing. China, Russia, India, Brazil and Saudi Arabia are conducting international trade in local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. Rising interest rates and bad loans are exposing the banking system and causing failures. The Biden administration sends hundreds of billions abroad while depleting our strategic oil reserves and ignoring crumbling infrastructure. However, the biggest financial threat may be coming from within. Central bank digital currency is real. Patents have been filed and the big banks have released plans for implementation. The vets at Midas Gold Group see tyrannical implications. The end of cash? the end of financial privacy, big government able to see your every purchase? Could there be ties to a social credit system? You can own private currency, gold and silver. Get free silver just for asking Midas Gold Group how you can use your retirement to own physical gold. Call Midas Gold Group today at eight five five three two two gold That's 855-322-4653, midasgoldgroup.com. I'm Seb Golka. Now let's get back to the show with Bob France.
1: All right, 20 minutes past the hour. <clears throat> welcome uh, to America First. Indeed, I come to you live from the ReliefFactor.com studios here in Cleveland, Ohio of AM 1420. The answer, want to welcome a good friend of my show for many, many years actually in Cleveland. It's good to talk to him on uh, America First with uh, Dr. G. And I'm talking about senior editor at conservative review and uh, uh, broadcaster and reporter and commentator and everything else for blaze media as well we're talking about daniel horowitz daniel good to talk to you again my friend how are you sir
2: hey great to be with you bob it's been so long
1: yeah, it really has been. There's so much, uh, so much grist for the mill here too. I want to talk about Israel. I want to talk about uh, what's going on on our college campuses. You've been writing about that, but I also want to address the the most recent development here, which is the Republican uh, Conference continues to chase its own tail. They don't know what they're going to do now. They didn't want Scalise. Now they don't want Jordan. They have removed him in a secret vote as a, as a Speaker Designee. They tried to do the uh, let's make McHenry the Speaker Pro Tem for you know the rest of the year and into January 3rd. They can't. Can't do that, Daniel Horowitz. What are they going to do?
2: Look, I think a lot of people are viewing this wrong. A lot of people are viewing this as a display of dysfunction, and it certainly does look dysfunctional. It's it's really not. It's a fact that there are values here that cannot be bridged. There is a divide that you cannot bridge. Uh, the difference between, let's say, a Freedom Caucus guy and and many others, uh, these appropriators establishment types, that is a greater gulf than the difference between an R and a D. So that's what we're seeing here. It's not so much dysfunction, it's that you have two different parties within the same party. As you well know, and I've been on your your Cleveland show for for so many years we we're talking about primaries. I've even tried to primary mm-hmm. some Ohio rhinos and, you know, it hasn't worked. And these guys keep winning. And therein lies the problem that there are more elected Republicans, in, even in the House, right, which is more conservative than Senate Republicans, that do not share the values of your listeners than those who do. And that's why they just had that affirmation vote and Jordan lost it because it's not just, oh, you know, 20 people. It was really a majority of them did not support him. So to me, there's two options the Freedom Caucus breaks off and starts a Freedom Party. And maybe use the GOP as a for ballot access, but you have kind of your own line of candidates, and, and you start just making this a permanent thing and turn it into a par- quasi-parliamentarian system. Or they're going to have to get someone, and I don't want to jump out ahead and float a name because there are a few people, but someone that is on, on paper a little bit more of an establishment guy. But it is someone that we can work with on the right, so he'll get their votes. But it's kind of like the McCarthy power sharing agreement from January, but to fill in some of those gaps where things went wrong.
1: Interesting theory, uh, and it's too bad you said what you just said. I was going to ask you to float a name, <laughs> and you don't want to do that. Because, I mean, everybody is wondering now. I mean, I don't know if anybody you know, who's in the, you know, in the Freedom Caucus or the conservative wing of the party is ever going to get enough people to coalesce around him. But, of course, the conservatives are not going to go for another McCarthy. Look at why we are where we are. They didn't want to do that with Steve Scalise. So if it's not a moderate and it's not a conservative, who is it? Who, who is able to bridge the gap between two parties within a party, as you say?
2: No, and, and and therein lies the rub. I, I'll give you an example, and, and again, I don't want to float him as necessarily the best name because there might be some better ones. But a lot of Freedom Caucus people secretly like Tom Emmer. And on the surface, Tom Emmer is a member of the Main Street Partnership. He voted for gay marriage. Um, he's certainly not of that ilk. But the thing about him is th- there's two qualities he has. Number one, he's really helped conservatives in a lot of things. It's very amendable. They, they, they have a great relationship with him. And number two, if you remember, as much dysfunction as we saw, Republicans have a very slim majority. And when McCarthy was giving conservatives the votes they wanted, like on H.R. 2, the border bill, and a couple of appropriation bills, he was Tom Emmer's the current whip. That's the vote counter. And he really, I mean, he got all the rhinos on board with stuff that they really didn't like. And That's he really. Dutifully did it. And and again, my understanding from some of my friends who are kind of at that right goalpost at the other end uh, were very appreciative of him and thought that that's a quality. It's not just that he's amenable to our stuff, but also that he did show the ability to really keep the conference together. Um, So that might be an option
1: um one more question on this before we get to israel that's very interesting what you just said uh, a reporter asked matt gates yesterday what if you don't get jim jordan a speaker what if you get somebody who's more moderate and squishy than than kevin mccarthy is was this worth all of this uh he said yes because we're shaking up washington would you say if we get a mccarthy light or another mccarthy ish uh speaker that it was the juice worth the squeeze here
2: no it's not and 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 this was this is a long discussion i have supported every mm-hmm. single speaker's site. Uh, three under Boehner and um, the original one in January. I did not support this one, but once it was done, you know, we wanted to get the best outcome. Right. 16 of the, just, just so you know, 16 of the 21 original guys from the rebellion in January did not join it. I think a lot of us had the sentiment of Lauren Boebert. If you remember on the house floor with that McCarthy vote a couple of weeks ago, she said McCarthy, for now. And in other words, the point was the plan that we were supporting was that right now Matt Gates, he, he's got some qualities to him, but he's also got some baggage. And the conference does not respect him and viewed it that it was all personal. And we felt that we had a gun to McCarthy's head that we wanted to make a specific demand for the budget and either we get that, which is more important than any you know person, you want the outcome or if he would betray that, we would have had a broader coalition to go in kind of like the Gulf War Coalition rather than the you know Bush two thousand three coalition in Iraq. You know, a broader coalition and this this was very narrow, it was very much driven by Matt Gates and it ticked off as much as I don't like some of those guys, but you know, you gotta deal with them if oh, they yeah. are, they they have the votes. <clears throat> and and, and and they were not about to allow you to down their people, down Scalise, and then, oh we'll we'll give you your guy. No, I mean they, they were gonna block him. So we felt strategically it wasn't good. And and again, sixteen of the twenty-one who joined originally did not join, and three of the ones who didn't back then were new, like Nancy Mace and Ken Buck, who are kind of odd, had had very odd idiosyncratic reasons for, for joining. Um, you know there were a couple of I'm, I'm, de- I'm dear friends with Andy Biggs i respect him a lot so he he was sincere about it and he you know joined gates but i just felt strategically it was not the right move and i literally predicted this but nonetheless i don't want to dump on it and now it's just you got to get the best outcome and it, i'm just telling you at this point they're not going to agree to a freedom caucus guy they're just not um so the and and i, I just one more thing so here's the thing. In some way, it might be better to get a guy like Tom Emmer that would be hostage to us than one of our guys who would be hostage to them. It's almost like – I don't know if you saw Jordan started negotiating. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. He he would have had to basically have the reverse McCarthy, if you know what I mean, where it's the rhino caucus that gets the seat you – know, all the seats on the rules committee – and all the commitments on the way the house is run. But then, you know, it would be our guy, so we would have no leverage to complain about it and fight against it. Right. You know, this is kind of the 3D I, I, sort of I do, I do get what you out.
1: mean. Yeah, I do get what you mean, Daniel. we got a break here coming. I want to talk with you about Israel and uh, and the conflict uh, coming up here in just a moment. Uh, but thank you for your thoughts on that. Daniel Horowitz, senior, senior editor at Conservative Review and at Blaze Media. We'll continue with him right after this on America First.
0: Whether it's the regular Hellcat or whether it's the compensated RDP with that miniature red dot, I love them all. How did it take so long to invent a factory compensated subcompact nine millimeter? Well, guess what? Springfield did it. And I'm a huge fan. And I'm
1: Sebastian Gorka. The Hellcat from Springfield Armory is still the smallest, highest capacity micro-compact in the world. Available in standard or optics-ready configurations, the class-leading capacity of the Hellcat gives you 11 plus one with the standard magazine and 13 plus one with the included extended mag. The definitive concealed carry pistol is here. The Hellcat from Springfield Armory gives you the capacity to defend.
0: Seb Gorka. Now let's get back to the show with Bob France.
1: All right, Dr. G, let's do exactly that. 27 minutes in front of the hour. And uh, we are joined once again by Daniel Horowitz, senior editor of Conservative Review. He does a podcast for them as well. He's on Blaze Media. And uh, Daniel, a great analysis of the speaker's race, mess that it is. Let's talk about the bigger mess that is, uh, the situation in Israel. Last night, I watched Joe Biden, and I got a sense, and I said this out loud to my wife. I said it to my radio audience this morning, and I'll say it now on America First. Joe Biden just used the Biden. Of dead Jews to get more money for Volodymyr Zelensky in Ukraine, he he used the tragedy and the horror and the trauma and everything else that happened in Israel and is happening right now to get more money, looking for sixty billion dollars. If he would have asked for that as a standalone for Ukraine, it would have been met with massive pushback in a lot of places. So he tied Putin with Hamas. You know terrorists here and tyrants there and we got to push back against both of them so let's get a big hundred billion dollar package for all of them i feel like he used the carnage of the jews to help uh, his his agenda
2: with ukraine what did you think so so bob you're you're right that's definitely true but it's worse than that see ukraine is just a grist so that's that's one level we're we're bankrupt so you know what's another 60 billion of monopoly money but what's worse is that he is giving money to the very people who did this. So he talks about the $100 million, but then there's another $7 billion humanitarian aid. Now, see, they have a very sophisticated software where you kind of, like, cluster bomb in aid to Gaza, and it magically goes to poor people, and not to the Hamas war effort, you know, because the Hamas doesn't control anything there. They're just kind of in a corner doing their business, and you have the civilians there. I mean, this is unreal. See, I thought... I, I, mean, I mean, a lot of us just emotionally still can't even wrap our arms around this. I'm just reading uh, right now stuff comes out. This, a, this American woman who came over this from the UK Daily Mail uh, who's a forensic, uh, you know, someone who's dealing with the forensics to, to bury the dead. There's evidence of mass rape so brutal that they broke their victims' pelvises, women, grandmothers, children – I volunteered oh, to prepare the bodies of murdered women to give them the respect they deserve. I'm a mother from New Jersey. I moved to Israel 20 years ago. I'm a normal person. I've never expected to be confronted with what I've seen. So I thought it's like normally, yeah, you got the suicide bombers, you got the rockets, but I mean, this is like it's first of all, it's the equivalent of 40,000 to scale to the American population dead, and then the way they were killed. So I thought this would take maybe two, three weeks to get back to the Palestinians and the Gaza civilians, you know, like we've seen our whole life. But this was like two, three days, and the priority of this administration, he goes to Israel. There is almost no mention about the American hostages, no demand from Qatar to Qatar better hand over the Hamas leaders who are living in five-star resorts there. Uh, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, was there last Friday in Doha and wouldn't ask for it. Um, no mention of of obviously that, that it's still going on. It's not even like it's they're still trying to infiltrate. They're still firing rockets, and it's all about Gaza. I mean, you've got to be kidding me! And it, again, it's worse than that. He is notice Israel hasn't done much yet. A lot of noise. Have-
1: uh Oh, did we just lose the uh, feed with uh, Daniel Horowitz? I think we lost his phone. Yeah, sometimes that happens, obviously, in the age that we are in with cell phones. So we uh, lost him. We're going to try. It's okay because you know what? We have a, only a minute or so left in this segment. And uh, what we're going to do is try to get him back on the line for the next segment so we can have him for just a little bit more because he's just touching on the reality that we discussed on this program yesterday. And I know Seb was, Dr. G, earlier in the week, too. How quickly. The world and the media flipped their concern, their empathy and their compassion for the victims on October 7th in Israel to, oh, my gosh, we have to be concerned about the potential victims of the retaliation and the self-defense of the Israelis on the Palestinian population in Gaza. Suddenly, I mean, it, it was like the just like flipping a switch. There was like no no time whatsoever. We went from compassion for the dead Jews and the savage marauding Hamas uh, terrorists, you know, got all of the the scorn that they deserved, and then quickly, I mean, just in a, in a blink of an eye, it's no. We have to worry about these potential victims of the Palestinian, you know, population in Gaza. They're not all like Hamas. My rear end. I was talking to Ryan Morrow uh, earlier today, who's a Middle East expert as well, and Ryan was talking about the the surveys. Over 50 percent of Palestinians support Hamas. Over 75 percent support the Palestinian Islamic Jihad terror group. Multiple terror groups in uh, uh, Gaza, on the Gaza Strip, who support Hamas and and Islamic Jihad terror groups. So, to me, there is no more room for distinction between the Palestinian people and the terrorists. If the people support the terrorists, then they are the terrorists. That's one thing I'll go back to George W. Bush and say that was right. You're either with us or you're against us. And if you support the terrorists, we will treat you as terrorists. I agree with that that uh, vantage point. So we'll reconnect with Daniel Horowitz. We'll continue that part of the conversation right after this on America First.
4: When the government used emergency edicts during COVID to restrict the gathering and worship of churches, three pastors facing the risk of imprisonment, unlimited fines, and their own churches being ripped apart— took a courageous stand and reopened their doors in the face of a world that chose to comply. The Essential Church is a feature-length documentary that explores the struggle between the church and government throughout history. This fascinating story uncovers those who've sacrificed their lives throughout history for what they truly believe in. We discover why the church is essential and how we prove that this stand remains true from a scientific legal and most importantly biblical, perspective. This is not your typical movie. It'll change your life. You need to see this movie with your friends and family. The Essential Church is streaming today exclusively at salemnow.com. That's Essential Church streaming at salemnow.com.
0: And Seb Gorka. Now let's get back to the show with Bob France.
1: All right, thanks, Dr. G. Live in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, the ReliefFactor.com studios, AM 1420, The Answer. We continue now with uh, Daniel Horowitz. We found a better connection for him. And uh, Daniel is a senior editor of Conservative Review. He's also with Blaze Media. And you wrote a piece uh, a couple of days ago, Daniel. Maybe it was last week, actually. It's been a while now. It's hard to believe uh, how much time has passed since October 7th. Talking about the cheerleading on college campuses in favor of Hamas, in favor of terrorism, and against Israel. The demonization. You know, it's funny. On the left, they've been complaining about victim shaming for so long. The ultimate victims here are fourteen hundred dead men, women, and children. A uh, two hundred plus hostages taken an unknown number of rapes, tortures, and so forth. And yet it's Israel's fault. They did it because they took the land from uh, Palestinians. And uh, and apparently that's all it takes for college campuses to not only allow, but encourage and help organize, and in some cases, faculty participating in the pro-terrorist um, uh, rallies and, and, and protests uh, on these college campuses. Where, where does that put us as a country when you see this at institutions of
2: higher learning? It puts us... In, in, in the death zone, because what what we need to understand is, look, we don't need to send troops there. Obviously, the we just need to stop Biden from handcuffing Israel and let them do what they need to do and stay out of it. But then we have to turn to our own borders and our own visas and our own culture and education. We got some serious issues here, because what was so shocking about that day was a Saturday. There were... It it was the the breath of what happened in a Western country, how it could get overrun by a degree of savagery that's unimaginable. And then within hours, you had all over the Western countries um, thousands of people, you know, Islamic immigrants to the West, but mixed with native leftists as well, chanting and, 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 and demonstrating. And I want people to remember for all of time. This was before Israel even announced their intention to do anything. In other words, Hamas was still controlling those areas, and the IDF didn't even clean it, clean it out yet. They were celebrating the massacre, meaning this wasn't even just oh, the, the, the old trope tropes about occupation and things like that and that nonsense. They straight up believe in genocide, that the Jews just existing there in their biblical homeland, their presence is a problem and deserves that sort of response. That should scare all of us because that's not an Israel problem. That's an us problem that we've let in so much garbage for generations. And what I did is I collated the uh, the visas from predominantly Islamic countries, mm-hmm. and we had a brilliant idea after 9-11. So we let in 19 people on visas that we shouldn't have let in. So we're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to the most Sharia uh in green countries and we're going to double and triple our intake from those countries that's what we did so it started with the diversity visa lottery where we brought in a lot of these places and then it spawned chain migration and now 20 years later we've been taking in year after year uh, at least a hundred thousand foreign students from these countries and then offering green cards as legal permanent resident status to an equal number of people roughly equal number mm. um now, are every one of them a problem? No, but you know, I've gone through a lot of polling data, and what people don't want to recognize is it's not your problem. It's not my problem. I want to get along with all people, but there is a certain t- culture that, that is brought in. You bring in a few here and there, you hopefully assimilate, and that's fine. But when you bring in large numbers, and we should have learned this from looking ominously across the pond to Europe, we're always about a generation behind them. Europe is done. They are done. I mean, you look at their streets, they're gone. And, you know, when you tolerate the intolerant under the guise of tolerance, what aims are you achieving? Who who are you serving? And it really is a breach of the social compact. The American people never voted for this. And what's worse is, along with the foreign students and then, you know, endemic leftist dogma on college campuses, we have allowed. The Qatar Foundation, right? That's, that's basically Hamas. Qatar, by the way, Qatar is Hamas. Qatar is worse than Iran, and we're, but Biden's allies with them. They have been funding billions of dollars into universities. So that's how you have all these student unions and programs that they have. So the Sharia, the Muslim Brotherhood subversion – remember, the Muslim Brotherhood was BLM Antifa before it was cool. And that's why there's so much cross-pollination between them. They, they work under the same subversion method where they subvert the West and its values, and that's, that's why we are where we are. I mean we got a big, big problem. we got, we got a – I mean I don't know if you saw CNN had a poll by Generation. Is Israel justified in responding? Now most of your audience would say they would have the right to wipe Gaza off the map after this, but that wasn't even a question. And, you know, people over 65, it was almost 90%. And then it went down and down. And people under 30, it was 27% or something. We got a big, big problem.
1: Yeah, we really do. And in um, and, and the minute we have left here, Daniel, um, going from the campus protests to the ones outside the Capitol being held and run by members of Congress, obviously the Hamas caucus or the Hamas squad, we could talk about generally, or we can talk specifically about Rashida Sharia Tlaib and what she is doing. She First of all, she's continuing to advance the lie, the myth, the hoax about the plane, or excuse me, not the plane, the bomb uh, of uh, coming from Israel that destroyed the hospital. Uh, we all know the reality of that now, but she is sticking to it doubly and tripling down and she is outside rallying and screaming uh for a ceasefire before israel even has done anything even remotely close to what they need to do to uh, respond to that attack uh, against hamas should people like that even be allowed to stay in the congress
2: people like that shouldn't be allowed in the country so i want to make something very clear none of us are for abridging speech right because obviously it's used against us sure but so you, you have a, If you're an American here, you have a right to say – if you want to get up there and say, yes, the Jews, I mean, except under certain circumstances, I mean, you've got to tolerate that, and that's just the price of freedom. But you don't have an affirmative right to immigrate, and people like her should have never uh, – she should have never been allowed in this country. Um, during the 1790 Naturalization Act in Congress, uh, they, all, they talked a lot about people of reputable and worthy characters fit for the society into which they were blended. Um, Madison talked about you know, merit and Republican principles. Jefferson talked about Republican-American values. Got about 30 seconds
1: to finish the point, Daniel.
2: Re, yeah, Republicanism. <laughs> we have 8 billion people in the world to choose from. Why bring in people like that? You know, well, one can make the argument that she could be denaturalized because it was under false pretenses of, of her swearing at, to, to uphold our values. That's kind of a messy game, but certainly anything any game
1: we had to play, Daniel. I know a lot of Americans, and thank you, my friend, for the time today. Any game we had to play to get people like that out of the Congress and yeah, even out of the country, I'd be for. We'll be back. On this My
0: Pillows 20 year anniversary, with over eighty million My Pillows sold, Mike Lindell wants to thank you by giving you the lowest price in history on their My Pillows. You will receive a Queen size My Pillow for just $19.98, regular price $69.98, and just $10 more for a king size. You will receive deep discounts on all My Pillow products, such as bed sheets, mattress toppers, pet beds, mattresses, My Slippers, and so much more. This is the time to try out some of their other amazing products you've had your eye on. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio podcast square, and use promo code Gawker to receive this amazing offer on the Queen size My Pillow for $19.98, or call 800 829 847. 6, 8. This offer comes with a 10 year warranty and a 60 day money back guarantee. It's time to start getting the quality sleep you deserve. Go to mypillow.com, promo code G O R K A, or call 800 829 8468 today. Mypillow.com, code GORKA. I'm Seb Gorka. Now let's get back to the show with Bob France.
1: All right, it is Second Amendment Friday on America First, as you know, and I thank God every day, I know Dr. G does, that America is the freest nation on earth, and we remain free because of the right to keep and bear arms. No other company in America personifies that right more then Car Firearms Group. Their story is the American dream. Their products are absolutely second to none. Car Firearms Group is your source for high quality firearms. Visit them at www.kahr.com. We carry car here at America First every day, and so should you twenty one minutes past the hour now, and uh want to welcome to the program a man that I've learned a lot from in his interviews and conversations with Dr. Gorka when I listen uh James Carafano, senior counsel to the President at the Heritage Foundation, joining us now on America first. James, thank you for the time. How are you, good sir
3: hey it's great great to be with you. Thanks for having me on.
1: It's good to have you on. I'm glad you kept the appointment uh, uh so let's I wanted to get your reaction to uh, uh to the speech last night from uh, from Sleepy Joe and I think he really earned that moniker from President Trump last night just like he did when he was in Israel and literally fell asleep during his own talking points uh while while speaking to some of the Israeli leadership but he rolled out a hundred and five billion dollars um in uh in re- a request for war aid fourteen billion of it to Israel. Ten billion for humanitarian assistance, fourteen billion for border security, seven billion for security aid to Taiwan, and sixty billion to arm Ukraine. James Carafano, what do you make of that request?
3: Well, well first of all, I got to say, look, I was deeply impressed that he could stay awake that late. So, so there was that. But if, but this—if you actually take a low yourself, bar low bar, it is. Well, not for a joke, It is the <laughs> most cynical. Uh, emergency spending bill you could have her at, easily, and I'm being generous, 80% of that bill could be dealt with through regular order. And there are already four appropriation bills sitting in the Senate, one of which has actually has billions of dollars for Israel. So the notion that the, there's an emergency that requires this is false. Uh, the second thing is, um, a lot of this stuff in the bill is, is just atrocious. The border security money is actually not really for border security. It's actually to provide additional funding so the border, which acts as Biden's personal human trafficking network, grows more efficiently, and they have more resources to help illegal aliens. So there, I think there's lots of stuff in the bill that's completely unnecessary. And, and, and you know, there's never, never we're, – we're, we're trillions of dollars in debt. There's never a discussion – about offsets. So it just came out the other day, for example, that there's a $300 billion green slush fund. That that right there is three times the amount they need for emergency spending. And why you would add deficit spending when there are literally hundreds of billions of dollars in money already allocated in the US government to spend this is atrocious. And the final point, you know, people can have different views on, on funding Ukraine, actually support Ukraine. but. The point is you can have, you can have two votes. If you can have a vote on Ukraine aid and a vote on Israel aid. I, there's no problem with, there's no reason why you can't do that. And, and I think the dirty little secret is both of them would pass, right? But people wouldn't have to make uncomfortable votes. There are people that, that don't like Ukraine. and They have their reasons and that's fine. And, and people you know, don't want to be held accountable to that. So, and you know, for, for, who are voting for Ukraine I have to explain why they think. And, and the other is true: is, is the president doesn't want a separate vote on on Israel because he knows that in the House there are a number of Democrats that won't vote for that aid, and then he will be held accountable for that. He doesn't want to do that either. So by well, yeah, he's got together, he's got he everybody to vote for it.
1: It's yeah, he's got go Sharia Tlaib standing on. outside the Capitol screaming at him and saying, Mr. President, we will remember this and so forth. She is, of course, uh, vehemently anti-Semitic, vehemently anti-Israel, vehemently pro-Palestine or the non-existent Palestine that they believe in. Um, but you're right. Um, he does not want to make them all vote against uh, supporting our ally, which is another question for you. I mean, can I, we're not at war. We're on the brink of it. I mean, we, in a number of different ways, we could be in a in a, in a war on three fronts in, in, in what is World War III in the Middle East, you know, supporting Israel uh, in Europe, if 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 Putin did go into a NATO country, and in and in uh, in Asia, if uh, you know, if, if China ever did make a move on Taiwan, we could be in all of those things. But but here's you know here's the the, the real question is if um, if Joe Biden is going to commit uh funds in in all of these locations he's going to ask the congress everybody to pass a, a, you know as you say say is if he splits them up which wars do i support and which ones i don't am i willing to vote no on funding for taiwan i'm going to sell them out to the chinese and what that means to us geopolitically am i willing to say no to the funds for israel because i'm going to look anti-semitic he doesn't want to do it which, which is why he has to lump all this stuff together look,
3: look you know i think the reality is um the you know the great enemies to America in the world today are Iran, Russia, and China. That's just the reality of where we are. Agreed. The other thing I will say that's true too is though they they all have one well they have two things in common. One is they all hate America and they see their success absolutely predicated on taking America down. So they all share a hatred of us and they share. A, an insatiable desire to diminish, weaken, and defeat the United States. The other thing I'll say is they all want to win without fighting. I mean, they don't, none of them want to fight the United States. So I'm not really worried about this spinning into World War III. I am worried about the president being able to responsibly respond to America's global interests and responsibility. And you know what? The presidents did this throughout the Cold War. This isn't, you know, it, it's tough work, but it's totally doable. But you have a president who demonstrated actually in the speech, which people said, oh, didn't he sound presidential? Okay, so he sounded like folks you Joke in the campaign trail, big deal. But if you actually listen to the words of the speech, he said yeah. nothing that was useful, productive, or helpful. He, exactly. He, he deliberately did not take on Iran, which is the father of all the, what's going on in the Middle East today. And, and then he says in the Middle East, oh, yeah, and of course we need a two-state solution. And that, that just sent me through the
1: – let's – I'm so sick in of mind, hearing right? those words. There can never be a two-state solution if one of the states wants to kill the other. It's just that simple. I, so in my mind, I sprinkle fairy dust and I automatically make Joe Biden happy and I create a Palestinian
3: state. And so what do you have? You have a state which, by its own doctrine, is committed to the destruction of Israel. You have a state sponsor of terrorism. You have a tool of Iran, which is the great threat in the region. And you have a government which is utterly corrupt, which will do nothing but exploit, oppress, and and misuse its own people. That's Biden's idea of a solution.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and again, there is no two state solution because of exactly what you said. If one of the state is hell bent on and it's in their charter to destroy the other state, if they're raising their children to hate the people in the other state, it will never be a peaceful solution, which means there is only one solution. Israel has to be able to defend itself by any and all means necessary. And that means collateral damage be damned. The moral responsibility to protect Palestinians belongs to Hamas, not Israel. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And
3: you know, the the, the reality is, is Israel is probably going to survive this war, um, and uh, even if there's a fight with Hezbollah. But here's this is you got to ask yourself, why is this happening?
1: Because we, project weakness, we, because we project weakness to all of our enemies in the form of that sleepy guy you saw last night on television. James Carafano, Senior Counselor to the President, Heritage Foundation. Thank you for joining us on America First. I'm Bob of France, in for Dr. G. We'll be back.
0: Second Amendment Friday on America First.
1: Brought to you by Car
0: Firearms.
1: Yes, it is. And I'm Bob Branson for Dr. G on this Second Amendment Friday. And we thank God every day that America is the finest and freest nation on Earth. And we remain that way because of the right to keep and bear arms. No other company in America personifies that right more than the Carr Firearms Group, led by our good friend Justin Moon. Carr stands strong and unashamed in their support for the right to keep and bear arms. Any and all arms that the people might need to stand against tyranny. And tyranny is everywhere right now. Americans can be sure that no matter what happens, car firearms group will be at the front lines, fighting for American Second Amendment rights. Their story is the American dream. their products. Absolutely seconded on Car Firearms Group, your source for high quality firearms. Visit them at www.kahr.com. I'll do it again kahr.com. We carry car every single day at America First, and so should you. Portions of America First are brought to you in part by Car Firearms. And on Second Amendment Friday, why not talk to the man himself, the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, John R. Lott? Welcome back to America First. John, how are you? Doing great. Good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you as well, John. You've been a busy guy, writing op-eds all over the place. I got one in front of me from the Federalist. I got one in front of me from the Washington Times. I want to start with the Washington Times because of the story. Obviously, it continues to be the lead story around the world right now—the uh, war in Israel or in the Middle East between Israel and Palestinian terrorists in Gaza. We were all shocked and horrified by what we saw happen on October 7th, and we saw a disarmed population at the mercy of 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 radical terrorists who terrorists who came in on, you know, hang gliders. They came through the wall, the fence. They came from everywhere, and they attacked, and people were defenseless, but not all people. Tell us about uh, the kibbutz where civilians were armed and what happened there, John.
3: Right. Well, I mean, there was a kibbutz where the uh, kind of the security person there had enough foresight to go into the arms locker and to give the civilians guns, and it was one kibbutz where they were able to go and stop the terrorists, Uh, People don't know how gun control laws have changed dramatically over time, kind of going both ways in Israel. Israel has had terrorist attacks since before they were even a country. And for decades, up until 1972, the approach was civilians were banned from having guns. But what would happen is is that when there would be a terrorist attack, they'd put more military, more police on the streets. But they discovered that no matter how much money they spent, they simply couldn't cover all the possible targets that these terrorists had real tactical advantages over the police and the military. Because if you have an officer on a bus and you have a terrorist, the terrorist can wait for the officer to leave before he attacks. Or he can get off the bus and attack some other target where he doesn't see an officer around. Or he could try to take out the officer, knowing that if he does kill the officer, he's going to have free reign because nobody else on the bus is going to be able to go and protect themselves. And then What happened in 1972, the government finally realized that the approach that they had wasn't working. Uh, And so they began to let civilians carry uh, concealed handguns. And you had, in some years, up to 14% of the adult Jewish population being able to go and carry. The problem is, I mean, that took away the tactical advantages that the terrorists had because now, I mean, in most of the country outside of California, York, you have about 10% of the adult population with permits. You don't know who's carrying. You, you know, probably go to a restaurant or a movie theater or a mall or, or a grocery store, and there'll be somebody next to you carrying, but you won't know. And the terrorists don't know. And so the terrorists may have 30 people behind them in the bus, but if they go and attack the police officer, they reveal their position and somebody behind them who they can't identify may be able to stop them. And so But the debate in Israel, unfortunately, has been similar to the one here in the United States in September when uh, the national police chief said, look, we're coming up on Jewish holidays. He's likely to go and get a tax. If you're able to carry, please make sure you do so. You had left-wing politicians going out there and warning against civilians carrying guns. And and they've gotten to the point where now only about 3% of the adult Jewish population was legally licensed to own a gun. And, and you know, you can only imagine how the terrorist attacks like at the music festival would have turned out differently if some of the people there had been armed. At the very least, they would have been able to slow the attack and given other people a chance uh, to go and escape. But what you have happened is that the day after, October 7th, They changed the rules now to make it much easier for people to carry. If you don't have a criminal record, you can call in now and get permission to be able to go and carry. Well, I'm sure they wish that they had changed that a week earlier or two weeks earlier. Uh, It would have made a big difference in terms of uh, people's ability to stop it, just like with the kibbutz that you were referencing.
1: Yeah, no question about it. That's exactly right. John Arlott Jr. is our guest on Second Amendment Friday. And it's something we say all of the time here in the United States. You don't know when you are going to need that kind of firepower. You don't know what you're going to need. You don't know what threats are coming at you. And obviously in Israel, it's living in a place where they face suicide bombers and rocket launches and all kinds of other things all of the time. You would think that they would have uh, uh, been a little bit smarter about it and made sure that everybody in Israel is able to arm themselves and train themselves to be able to protect themselves. Let's move over now. John Arlott Jr. Uh, is our guest, and let's talk a little bit about your column for The Federalist. Um, there are feds who want the Supreme Court of the United States to let judges strip away gun rights even when there has been no crime. What on earth are we talking about here, John?
3: Right. Well, there's a case that the Supreme Court's going to be hearing uh, the oral arguments on November 7th. Uh, it's called Rahimi. There's a guy who's a pretty bad guy. He had a long criminal history, violent criminal history. He was a drug dealer. But they didn't prosecute him on those types of things. They didn't put him in bail, you know, to have high bail in order to try to keep him in jail. Uh, What they end up doing, end up having uh, a domestic violence order, a civil case brought against him that took away uh, his right to go and own a gun. He still got a gun uh, and committed another crime with it. And so the case before the Supreme Court is whether you can take away somebody's gun with a criminal case or a civil case. And there's a big difference between the two, because with a criminal case, when you you make a decision that somebody's guilty, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. You're like 98% sure that the person is the guilty party with civil cases. It's just the preponderance of the evidence. So Mm 50.1% versus 49.9% that the person uh, didn't do what you are accusing him of. In this case, there was not even a hearing. Uh, There was no lawyer. You don't get lawyers provided for you in civil cases. and. You know, so, like, it's the only thing that can happen. In John, we're going to have to tell is,
1: people, uh, John Lott, we're going to have to tell people to read the rest of this fascinating case that you wrote about when you go to the Federalist. Look for this article by John R. Lott of the Crime Prevention Research Center. I'm Bob in for Dr. G. We'll be back.